Good morning. The government will rest on his shoulders. Familiar words from Isaiah, taken from the New Living Translation. That's the version in your seats there. They're words that the kingdom of Judah desperately needed. Specifically, they needed leadership. And do you know one of the hallmarks of good government? Leadership. You see, to the north, the king of Israel and the king of Syria, or Aram as it's on that particular map, had sort of ganged up on Judah to the south and besieged Jerusalem. Jerusalem, they were outnumbered and they were in big trouble. But they were also stuck with a weak king, a wicked king, a king with no faith in God. No way was King Ahaz going to call upon the name of God or provide any sort of leadership or inspire the nation or prepare the defences. Oh no. He went off and groveled to the king of Assyria over there in the Euphrates, offered a huge sum of money. And yes, the king of Assyria came across and he soon sorted those two out. Problem solved, you might say. But if you know what followed, it was more like a friend like that who needs enemies. And this is what became the background of Isaiah's prophecy as we read in the King James. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder. But for the moment, all Judah had was a weak king. Oh yes, going back in history, through Judah and then when the nation was combined, Israel. That's what they wanted, to be like other nations. So they got a king and now they were stuck with a king. Some were good, many were bad. So in the end, was it such a good idea? You know, of one king, it says, they only had him for eight years, but the record says... He passed away to no one's regret. Modern version is good riddance. That was Judah. But in today's world, how many of the nations around the world are, are no better off? Maybe a whole lot worse. So going all through history, has anything changed? I guess someone has to be at the top. Someone has to be responsible. Someone has to give us government. But please, please make it good government. So looking around today, can you see it anyway? Even our lucky country. Sure, we might be a whole lot better off than many other nations, but is it anywhere near what you'd call the ideal? What direction is this nation headed? Are we always going to have it so good? You know, when I was putting this together, I was reminded of the words of Ronald Reagan, the 40th President of the United States, 1981-89, who once said, the most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. 
Oh, that resonates with me. Another thing I'm told is, if you want to stay friends, avoid two topics, religion and politics. And yet, both are subjects of constant discussion in today's world. People, they're always talking past each other. The protests, the propaganda, the calls for reform, the court battles, even the cartoons. The activist, the academic, the politician, the ideologue. All through history, kings have come, kings have gone. Today it's become presidents and prime ministers. And it's against this backdrop that we have Isaiah's breathtaking words when you think about it. Someone's coming and he's going to get it right. Really? Not only that, Isaiah also says, look, it's been decided. It's an announcement. It's a prophecy. So sit up, take notice. It's so certain that the word will, see it there, is used how many times? Five times. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders. Number one, our theme for today. And he will be called, number two. There it is, four recognisable attributes that will give us good government. And there they are. Wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. His government and its peace will never end. That's three. It will last for forever. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. Number four. He is going to have a place in history, a legitimate right to be king on David's throne and he will always do what is right and what is just. And finally, there it is, number five, the passionate commitment of the, Lord's heaven, of, the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Indeed, there's something militant about those last words, something unstoppable. And yet at the top, it kind of starts in such an innocent, harmless way. A child given from above. And it's all going to be on his shoulders. Shoulders, you know what that means. There are many examples, but the one I'm chosen today is you're at the airport. And maybe before you get on board, you might catch a glimpse of a man who has that on his shoulders. Do you know what that means? Hmm. One stripe. He's got all the training. Two stripes. He's qualified, passed all the tests. He sat on those simulators. Three stripes. He's capable. He's just getting experience. Four stripes. He's the captain. He is responsible for getting you from A to B, safe and sound. He is the man. 
You know, they're even trained to sound like they can fly a plane. You'll never hear over the intercom, you know, ladies and gentlemen, we might not make it on time. Headwinds. Oh, there's nothing uncertain like might, maybe, or hope. Not when you're at the controls, you know, 40,000 feet in the air and you're sitting back there. But then, what if things do go wrong? Like flight 1549 out of New York, 15th of January 2009, when both engines were disabled due to bird strike. They were Canada geese, big solid birds weighing up to about 6.5 kilograms. You know, far too much for a jet engine to kind of swallow. And suddenly the plane turned into a giant glider. And the only option for Captain Chesley Sully Sullenberger was to glide it silently towards the Hudson River and ditch it there. And there it is. All 155 on board survived. But take a look, what's on his shoulders? Then our Australian one, Qantas Flight QF32, 4th of November 2010 from Singapore to Sydney. An A380, the world's largest passenger plane, a kind of double-decker. A plane with wings so wide that pilots have to have extra training when they're taxiing it around airports. QF32 was four minutes in the air crossing 7,000 feet when engine number two disintegrated, crippling many, uh, sending shrapnel through the wing structure, crippling many of the flight systems, the hydraulics, the fuel, the electronics. Here's a close-up of some of the electricals that got cut. So it was that Captain Richard D. Crespigny used whatever flight systems were left available to him to slowly turn the plane around, get the wheels to kind of drop by a gravity system, and then make a heavy landing with limited braking only a few metres left on the longest runway. And so it was all 469 were able to safely disembark. But again, take a look at his shoulders. Those four stripes mean something. And this promised child, it will all be on his shoulders. Again, it's four. It will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Each one necessary, vital for a forever government. A government that cannot be improved upon. A government where everything is in harmony. Harmony. Where have I heard that word before? It is God's plan that every part of his government shall depend on every other part. The whole as a wheel within a wheel working with entire harmony. Where everything, big and small, is working together, fits together. Harmony. A place where everything works as it should. 
And isn't that what we want? You get up in the morning, you turn the tap on, and what do you want to happen? You go to the switch and flick the switch, and what do you want to happen? You want everything to run on time, the traffic flow smoothly. That's how we want it down here, you know, without glitches or delays. So why not have it all? Where everything is in perfect harmony. Well, fact is, that's heaven right now. That's God's government. And that's what we once had in the garden. Until there was a snake in the grass. Uh, and we all know what happened. Someone up there in heaven began questioning government. And no doubt when we get to see the action replay, at the time it probably seemed so reasonable, so well considered, purest of motives. But I've already got one question. If everything is in perfect harmony, do you really need to make it better? Can you make it better? Have you ever heard of that adage? You've heard it, haven't you? If it ain't broke, what? So what did Satan do? Hey, what was he really on about anyway? I'm not going to read it. You know also those words from Isaiah 14. How many times does I get a mention? I will. Oh, so he will make it happen. But will he? That's when he came to earth. Not as an angel, but as a certain reptile. And therein lies a real big problem. You know, take a really good look. If Satan wants to be in charge, if he wants government on his shoulders, well, what shoulders? Can you see any? Or have I, is it just me that's got a problem here? That's his problem. He chose that as his disguise. So now he's got to live with it. And today I guess we live in a world where we've got Satan's five, I will, against Isaiah's five, what will? For Isaiah says, a child will be given. He will break into history. He will occupy David's throne. He will get it right and he will rule forever. And that child came and his name is Jesus. And how much of his ministry is about government? And he didn't use that word. He used the word kingdom. Kingdoms mentioned 123 times all through the Gospels. And one of Jesus' favourite phrases keeps recurring. The kingdom of heaven is like unto. As he explained it through parable, illustration, narrative. He explained to us what we can expect as a citizen and what is expected of us as citizens. And one of the first things he made very, very clear here it is, my. See that first word, my. My, I'm in charge. My kingdom is not of this world. 
It's nothing like you sort of see down here. And the context confirms these words. For Jesus said this while standing before Pilate, bound as a prisoner, and the mob outside baying for his blood. And there's Pilate trying to standing there, standing there trying to make sense of it all. So let me complete the words of Jesus taken from the message. Same verse. My kingdom doesn't consist of what you see around you. Not of this world. If it did, my followers would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. And in another place, Jesus said he could call upon ten legions of angels. He didn't need to worry about poor 12 frightened disciples. No, angels. And what chance would a baying mob have against that? Or anyone else for that matter? And then he completes the phrase, I am not that kind of king, not the world's kind of king. Nothing like you see down here. A kingdom that is not of this world, but it was going to be established in this world. Oh yes, they tried to crush it before they had a chance. Sure, they crucified him, but did they succeed? In a strange way, those people who were so opposed, even the devil himself, helped fulfil God's purposes, wherein the, the king of the kingdom would rise from the tomb, and in rising from the tomb with it came the kingdom. A kingdom that is like finding hidden treasure, like finding a pearl of great price. Its servants go out and sow seed, they go fishing. They're wise as serpents and harmless as doves. They're like sheep among the wolves. They're like a light set on a hill, like salt that infuses and preserves, like yeast that works from within. They are like repairers of the breach, the bearers of the gospel commission, the messengers of the three angels. We, we, become God's eyes, God's hands, God's feet, ready to bless, revealing to the world something of the harmony that's only found in heaven. Yes, it's all on his shoulders. Those four all-important stripes. Wonderful counsellor. He speaks truth. He speaks wisdom. You can't go wrong. You only need listen. People were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. Mighty God. In the words of Matthew, he will be called Emmanuel or God with us. Everlasting Father. Sure, he came as a child. He came as one of us. But in another sense, he is a kind of a generation above us. Like a father. We all have one. He is our creator. For through him all things were made. He provides. He gives us a place called home. A place where we belong. Belong forever. And finally he is the prince of peace. His realm. A realm of harmony. For it is in me. Only in me. That you will have peace. You know, with him in charge, that's the best place to be. That's his government, 
and that's his kingdom forever. So what is Jesus doing right now on planet Earth? It's all on his shoulders. Maybe it's a bit like an experiment, like this statement here. There's an experiment going on on that scene there. There's a lady sitting there with a jug, the woman at the well. A bit of an experiment going on here. The Lord Jesus is making experiments on human hearts through the exhibition of his mercy and abundant grace. Hey, how many are lost down here? So let the Spirit come down upon all and see what happens. Everyone in some way is given enough light, enough of a view of his mercy and grace to come to that valley of decision. And if they do come on board, what might happen next? Well, he is affecting transformations so amazing that Satan, with all his triumphant boasting, ah yes, Satan has reason to boast. They're all his out there. But then again, here, there, over there. Church, homes, hospitals, jails, hovels, mansions. Transformations. Transformations so amazing that they are to him an incomprehensible mystery. He doesn't get it. There's nothing he can do about it. The serpent's head has truly been crushed. But then that word up there, experiments. The angels of God are also looking on. They look on with astonishment and joy because they're seeing exactly the same thing. Fallen men, lost, hopelessly, not a chance. But now they are developing characters to be sons and daughters of God. They are learning to come into tune with the harmony of that forever world. May that be true of everyone here this morning. In closing, government. Yes, I guess at one level the whole subject is a complete turn-off. Perfectly understandable. At another level, it is one of the most vital subjects in God's word. We all have to live under government. But, you know, there's one thing, if there's one thing about all the noise that we hear in today's world, the arguments, the passion, it surely must tell us and convince us that there has to be an ideal out there somewhere. There is. And that's the good news. It is in this world, but it is not of this world. It's about knowing what's involved, about choice, about putting it into practice. Oh yes, there's a war going on. Satan's kingdom is under challenge. Christ's kingdom is coming and it is unstoppable. On the other hand, let's be warned. The world is spiralling out of control. Big turbulence lies ahead. So listen to the message. Buckle up your seatbelts.
Nevertheless, the captain is there on that plane somewhere at front. He can see what's ahead. It's all on his shoulders. And Isaiah reassures us he will see us through. It's not about getting from A to B on an aeroplane. It is about A to forever. Shall we bow our heads? Dear Father in heaven, we want to thank you for those very bold words from Isaiah. At a time when everything is looking bleak back there in Judah, you came with this shining promise, a promise that has since been fulfilled in Jesus. And yes, Lord, as we look around the world today, it's probably not much better, maybe getting worse but we know that you're in charge, that it's all on your soul, shoulders. And that under, under your leadership, under your guidance, you will indeed lead us to the promised land. So now dismiss us with your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.